I am here at Camp Kotak uh, with Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, and Samuel Rines of Corbu. Gentlemen, great to have you here. Uh, we, you know, Skip's talking about fishing. It's been great. We know that. Jim, I know, what is the current state of inflation right now? Uh, the inflation rate peaked a year ago at 9% on a year-over-year basis measuring by CPI. It has fallen now to 3% by June of this year, year-over-year CPI. There seems to be a big base effect in inflation, meaning that a year ago's in monthly inflation number for July, which we will get in a week or two, was zero because of a big fall in gasoline. The estimates are that this year's July number will be 0.4. So you'll drop a zero, add a 0.4. Your year-over-year year from 3.4 will, will jump to 3.4 from 3%. And then in August, we've had a big spurt of gasoline prices. Last year was 0.2. We could jump over that. And the year-over-year year number can go up again. Uh, I think that matters for the Federal Reserve that wants to bring inflation down. That will matter for the narrative about inflation. But, Sam, you've been looking at what corporations have been doing with inflation. Uh, what are you seeing right now? And what is it that you look at? And, and this is the incredible point that you're really not seeing this fundamental disinflation outside of goods, outside of commodities, uh, that's really going to push through to any of the overlying numbers. What uh, what I've been looking at is what corporations are doing with pricing, particularly on the front of those consumer-facing companies, uh, the Procter & Gamble's, Coca-Cola's, Pepsi's, uh, whoever it might be, McDonald's. When you look at what they're doing with pricing, their pricing is still increasing in the high single digits, low double digits. It's an incredible amount of pricing that's coming through the system. And what you're beginning to see is pricing kind of peak, but maybe not quite peaking. And you're beginning to see the disinflation on the commodity front really show up on the margins. And so companies are all of a sudden capturing back the margin that they lost during COVID. And they're really happy about it. You know so what? One. And so there's a whole bunch. It's right. kind of fun because there's a, there's this excitement from corporate America that they're getting that margin back and they don't have to give back the pricing. And that is a tremendous amount of margin as we move forward. You know, I was going to say just how far we come. I'm old enough to remember March of last year. <laughs> and in March of last year, Procter & Gamble made an announcement in their quarterly earnings report that they were going to raise prices in September. In September. And they were, between March and September, put out a white paper to explain why they were raising prices. Now they just raised prices and told you they did it a month ago, you know, because that was, that's how far we've come no with, the accept, with the acceptance of raising prices. Yeah. They had to explain themselves a year and a half ago. Now you just raise them. And you just raise prices and you have the consumer going, okay. And, yeah. and, and, it's, that, and it's that, okay. That really matters when we think about the inflation dynamic moving forward, that companies are very comfortable with trying to find the elasticity of consumption that makes the most sense for them. And when you have the ability to raise price and you don't have to create any sort of capacity for volume, that is a really, really good thing for your bottom line over time because price is pure margin as long as you eventually get back to your old cost structure. If you want to increase volume, that's an extra factory, that's extra employees, that's a different ballgame. And 
if if we're looking at inflation in terms of the back half of this year and into next year, it is really difficult to come up with a situation where you're getting any of the disinflation of commodities passed on to consumers. And I think that's, to your point earlier, I think that's going to be a pretty big problem. The interview you're watching right now was filmed at the legendary Camp Kotak, an invitation-only retreat with prominent investors, economists, and wealth managers. Fishing, wine, and conversation are the hallmarks of this annual event held at Lean's Lodge in Grand Lake Stream, Maine, one of the state's most remote venues. I was very lucky to go to week one of this year's Camp Kotak, and I'm very grateful to David Kotak for inviting me and to Daniel DiMartino Booth for helping me greatly in being granted access to this exclusive event. Camp Kotak attendees are bound by Chatham House rules, where participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speaker, nor that of any other participant may be revealed. Accordingly, most of the information I heard will stay concealed. However, I did manage to get a few participants on the record, so Forward Guidance viewers will be able to hear my interviews with, among others, David Kotak, Daniel DiMartino Booth, Jim Bianco, Sam Rines, Leland Miller, as well as Dennis Lockhart, who from 2007 to 2017 served as the President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. A big thank you to the Global Interdependence Center and Cumberland Advisors for making this event possible, as well as to Lean's Lodge for sharing their beautiful acreage and making us feel right at home. Now, back to the interview. What about um, services? Uh, services, uh, again, uh, you know, you want ketchup on your french fries at a restaurant. Guess what? You're paying a little extra for it. And when you have employees that are very difficult to come by and very expensive, Right. You're going to have a much different story when it comes to the stickiness of services inflation over the next, I, I would say, over the next three to five years, not three to five months. Sweet greens, which uh, the famous for the $14 salad is now charging you extra for bread and extra uh, dressing right now. They made that announcement last week um, as well. But I would argue that what we've been saying is the there's a stickiness to inflation. And I want to use that word carefully. No, we're not going back to nine. You know, we're, we may not even go back to six. But if we're going to stay with a three handle on inflation, maybe a low four handle on inflation, I don't see where the Fed could say, well, we've done enough. We'll just kind of sit there and we'll wait. There could be one or two more rate hikes and the big open question is, if the Fed is not done, how do financial markets respond to the Fed potentially not being done? I think that they will, especially the non-Magnificent Seven, the non-megatech companies, will struggle a little bit with that idea that the competition of interest rates will continue to, to be a problem. Uh, what is, what's your take on it? I, I would say it, it's, it's been a struggle for the majority of the year. Right. Um, but I'm not sure 100 basis points is really going to matter in terms of that dynamic, because at the end of the day, you're looking at the difference between do I want an extra 100 basis points or do I want the potential of another three or four hundred? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's always going to be that dynamic. I do think that the Fed going another two, three, four times is going to have an effect overall on risk assets. And uh, I would say it starts with the dollar and ends with the bond market, mm -hmm. um, as it always does, right? Currencies are going to be the 
number one place to look and uh, bonds are going to be the last, right? Because bonds are the ones that destroy and the currencies are the ones that lead. Uh, so I would, I would be pretty tentative on adding a significant amount of risk into the back half of the year, but I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be timid about holding my current allocation. You know, as far as the bond market goes, um, we're recording in the first week of August and we saw the long end of the yield curve start to move higher. In October of 2022, that, that was the, high, the peak for the cycle and interest rates when the long, when the 10 year, excuse me, hit 4.24. We hit 4.21 on Thursday. So we're very, very, we were, and then we backed off a little bit on Friday with the payroll report, but we're close. We're close to those highs. I ultimately think that we're going to see long-term interest rates go through those peaks, that the peak of the cycle for long-term interest rates is ahead of us. It's not necessarily behind us. Is it all the way to 5% or so? 6%. Oh, huh? no, for the 10-year. For the 10-year. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for the 10-year. Is it all the way out to 5%? I, I'd say yes, but I would feel more comfortable with the idea that the trend is up and the, and the peak is not is ahead of us. The Fed, is the Fed looking at potentially 6%? On interest rates, well, they're five and a quarter to five and a half. Now that's two rate hikes. Sure, I could see that definitely being at least five seventy-five to six percent. What's your take? Five percent on the ten-year sounds perfectly reasonable if the Fed doesn't hike from here, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's there's a little bit of a dynamic there where if you don't get a hike from the Fed, if you get a pass, if you get a little bit of dovishness, all of a sudden that long end is going to get a little frisky uh, in terms of yield. Uh, Why, sir? Why? Because you're going to have a little bit more of a longer-term inflationary aspect priced in. You're going to have the potential of the Fed being fine with a 3, 3 3.5, 4% type inflation number, right? Pseudo-declaring victory, right? Not saying it out loud, but saying it in, uh, in policy terms. So if you get some sort of dovishness out of the Fed, 5, 5.5, 6%, 1030s, sounds perfectly reasonable to me if you continue to have the fed raising on the long end or on the on the short end what i would say about the long end is you're going to have a tremendous amount of pressure because there's no sense in allocating to duration when you have you know call it there's no sense in buying the 10 to 30 year at three and a half to four five percent when you can buy the short end at five and a half to six I'll, I'll credit Bill Gross. He tweeted this out this week. I completely agreed with it. If inflation, the long-run inflation rate for now, looks like it's three, let's use that number. Well, the Fed has already said, John Williams, the New York Fed, has already said that neutral funds rate is 50 basis points over the long-run inflation rate. That's three and a half. The normalized yield curve, we're an inverted yield curve. We know inverted yield curves are not the normal state, but the normal yield curve should be the 10-year being about 150 basis points above the funds rate, otherwise known as the term premium, okay? Three and a half on the funds rate, 150, that's five. That's fair value for the 10-year note is 5% if we have a 3% long-run inflation rate. We're four right now on the 10-year. On the so now that doesn't mean we have to go there right away. I think over time that that's where, where we'd settle out if you believe in the price over volume in that, you know, companies are raising prices, it's a little bit sticky, that we're closer to three than two. I know that some equity people might look at that and say, what's the difference between three or two? There you go. It's 4% to 5% in, 
interest rates. And that's that's a big deal. So to briefly summarize, I think you both agree that core inflation has been sticky and that, you know, people chart a year over year headline inflation number. It looks like inflation has collapsed. But number one, that's year over year. So you have base effects. And number two, it is heavily weighted the price of oil, which is by far the you know most volatile component of inflation. So if core inflation, which you know is the underlying forces of inflation, is sticky, the Federal Reserve will be inclined to hike and maybe hike more, uh, two, three, or even, as you said, four times. It seems like, Jim, you're uh, accepting of that. But I think the disagreement between you two is you think that, uh, Sam, if the Fed hikes a lot, the long end won't get a bid. Whereas, Jim, you said that the that the tenure normally is 150 basis points above the Fed funds. Yeah, yeah. Well, the long end won't get a bid would be higher, higher rates, you know, and stuff. So I think that that's really, um, really the issue. The issue comes down to the issue we've been grappling with for a year and a half. Where where's inflation? Where, where's inflation going? Where is it now? Is it are we still in a pre-pandemic regime of when the Fed kept rates at zero and could not get the inflation rate above two? Uh, or are we in some kind of post-pandemic economy where they're going to have a hard time getting it anywhere near two, short of a recession when you have a collapse in demand? And we haven't discussed that, but I'll just throw out that I'm also in the no landing camp. You know, there's the hard landing, there's the soft landing. No landing just means the plane just keeps flying. Yeah. There is no recession. Yeah, maybe it loses a little bit of altitude, but it, it just keeps flying and there's no recession. That also kind of keeps demand for stuff. If people are continuing to stay unemployed, um, employed, excuse me, 3.5% unemployment and wealth effect from the stock market gains continue, they're going to... They're going to use that money to buy things and they're going to bid on things. And your your companies are going to be telling you we can keep passing along price increases. And it's 6.5% Fed funds rate but for folks at home. It's 5.5% for the top end now. Even that, that's no landing. That won't right. slow down But the that would be something like, you know, I could see one more, just so people understand where I'm coming from. I could see the Fed raising rates one more time this year. Those other rate hikes to get you six and a half, those are 24 rate hikes. So what I'm arguing is this cycle is got more time to it, that it's not going to be September, November, December. It can be, but I don't necessarily think it will be, but that we're just going to keep stretching this out because the federal rate's not raising the hold in September and they might raise in November, but then the year-over-year number on headline inflation is four. Then there's the big debate, are we, are we, are we done yet? Maybe not. And then in 24, they might start talking about raising rates again. I know it's an election year, but I don't think that will stop them at least early on in the in in the cycle. And and to your point, I mean, remember the conversation we were having last year was: is the recession happening in Q3 or Q4? Mm -hmm. And what we found was the U.S. consumer just pushed through in an amazing way. Right, the U.S. economy was a bull, and I I would argue pretty wholeheartedly that it was the U.S. consumer that said, mm, doesn't really feel that bad. Maybe I'll continue to spend. And they have continued to do it. It's really difficult to see what breaks them when they're not stopping at five and a half. You know, does six and a half somehow magically stop the U.S. consumer from spending their cash flow? Probably not. And it's, you know, at a, you know, we saw the average hourly earnings up four and a half 4.4% uh, year over year, uh, you know, that's on Friday. Wages. That's not yeah. uh, comp corporation yeah. earnings. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the average consumer. And so you have the average consumer with a 4.5% pay raise year over year. And 
Nom- nominal or real? Nominal. Nominal. Okay, so infl- inflation is three four percent. So so they're spending you know a hundred percent of their cash flow, and they will continue to do so, and that is a pretty powerful backdrop to the U.S. economy. Uh, so it's it's really tough to stop it. I don't. We're running short of time, so let me give you a conclusion yeah. for equity investors. What does this mean for equity investors? If you look at the University of Chicago and Ibbotson and Associates, they've done some long-term studies on the stock market, long-term, many years. It averages about 9% year-over-year gains in the stock market. We were down big last year, we're up big this year, you know, so 9%. Uh, We used to use the term TINA, there is no alternative, prior to the pandemic, because prior to the pandemic, we had zero interest rates. So if you wanted to be out of equities, you got nothing or very low interest rate. We're talking about five, five and a half, maybe 6% in risk-free instruments, two-thirds of the stock market's gain with no risk. There is an alternative. There is an alternative now in a money market fund. There is an alternative in a short-term bond fund. It will give you most of the stock market's gains that you would expect over a long period of time, and it will give it to you with very, very little risk. And that will wind up, I think, being heady competition for the stock market to continue to attract new money as we go forward. That argument makes a whole lot of sense to me, but as we all know that, you know, stocks have gone up with yields this year. Right, there's uh, also people that yeah. are short-term timers, yeah, and, yeah. you know, the YOLO crowd and stuff. That's a different that's a different argument from the I want to put money away for the next 10 or 20 years type type of crowd. Jim, I still got two questions and first one's for you Jim. How much of the rate hikes do you think the US economy has felt? I don't think they've felt many at all. We've raised rates over 5%, over 500 basis points. The unemployment rate is lower now than it was when they began. The stock market is only 4 or 5% from its peak. There's been very little pain so far. But but is it coming? Is it is it baked in? In other words, uh, 550 basis points of hikes, 525, means that pain is coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming. Long and variable lags versus, oh, what Waller is saying. Uh, we've already, this already had, that means we have to go higher. I don't necessarily believe in the long and variable lags. I think what the Fed has done is they've kind of moved with the neutral rate higher and that they're not as restrictive as we think they should be after 500 basis points, which is why I think there's more room for them to raise rates because they haven't gone way too far just yet. The 5% you know, fair value for the 10-year note and stuff, they haven't gone way so far that they're going to break something, something serious. Um, so uh, I don't think we've felt it because I don't think it's been as painful as we thought. Yes, and just to add to that, forward guidance is a present problem. Right. When they guided that they were going to continue going, when it was priced into markets, uh, that happened far before it would have happened 20, 25, 30, 35 years ago. And that created a much different dynamic than the long and variable legs. Yes, but a lot. So absolutely. But by the way, Ford Guns is the name of my show. And uh, the, but a lot of debt oh. is termed out. So, you know, yep. a lot of people borrowed yeah, you know, at a 3% mortgage rate, mm-hmm. a lot of high-yield high corporates. Anyway, last question for you, Sam. Earlier early you said something. I'm not going to do it justice, but you said the currency is the start and the, uh, the bond market. It ends with the bond market. It starts with the dollar. What did you mean? Uh, so what I meant was you always want to watch what's going on in currency markets uh, as, the leading in, as the leading indicator of what uh, is going on both in terms of macro and risk. Right. You never want to ignore what's going on in currencies. So if the U.S. dollar is doing well, that is an indication of 
you know, the rest of the world probably isn't doing that great. U.S. economy is doing fine uh, and vice versa. And there's a lot of ways that you can slice and dice that. Uh, and the bond market is the one that teaches everybody a lesson. Uh, and it tends to teach people very harsh lessons and it tends to be very quickly in terms of both uh, what is going on in the world, whether it's that the U.S. economy is doing great, the Fed is raising rates at a pace that is too quickly, too slowly, uh, and uh, whether the Fed funds rate might decline over time, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you really want to pay attention to what's going on in currencies and you really want to pay attention to what's going on in bonds because they tend to teach people lessons very, very quickly and very, very painfully. And what, what is that pain that people who are short bonds are going to get uh, uh, smoked when bonds rally when there's a recession or people who own a lot of bonds are going to get smoked because bond yields go higher. And by the way, that's what happened last year. Uh, so what I would I, what I would say was is it depends on how it unfolds. Uh, you know, my my tendency is to say that the U.S. economy is going to be pretty good relative to current expectations for the foreseeable future. Uh, so if you are, call it long bonds into this cycle, you particularly on the long end, uh, you might want to reconsider your positioning. So you prefer stocks over bonds? I prefer being very short duration bonds and long uh, equities non-tech. Interesting. Very well. Well, uh, guys, thanks so much. And thank you, everyone, for watching.